first of seven churches. And we're going to learn about Smyrna tonight. I want to ask you to stand with me for a little bit as we read a few verses here in Revelation chapter 2. We're going to read four verses, but I'm going to tell you what. Verses has, they have a lot in them. And uh, there's a lot in verses 8, 9, 10, and 11 that discuss this second church uh, in church history in this series of churches that are being written to in the book of Revelation. Now, I want to be clear with you tonight. We're not, we're not intending, the intention is not to do a verse-by-verse study in Revelation. We're not there yet, all right? However, as we go through chapter 2 and chapters 3, uh, as we go through both of those chapters, we're going to learn about all seven of these churches. And as we do that, there's going to be some things that I have to explain about the book of Revelation for this to make sense. Uh, let me just say the Bible will not make sense if you don't learn to rightly divide the scriptures. Uh, and, and in other words, the, the, the Bible gives us a, a command to study, to show ourselves approved in a God. If you don't rightly divide it, now, now here, let me just say this real quick. If God tells you to rightly divide something and you don't divide it at all, you're going to make a mistake. If you overly divide where God says not to divide, you make a mistake. The same applies in your Christian life. Do you realize sometimes God goes, let it go, let it go, cut the cord, cut the cord. And the reason he does that is because if you don't learn to divide yourself from certain things, you can never unite yourself to certain things. That makes sense? The same goes for the Bible itself to understanding it. You can't make sense of it if you don't learn to rightly divide it. So we're going to talk about some of that. And uh, look at Revelation chapter 2. In verse number 8, And unto the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These things saith the first and the last, which was dead, past tense, and is, present tense, alive. Don't you like that? I like that. I know thy works in tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich. In other words, uh, you may think you're poor, but in my eyes you're rich. God sees things and has a different value system than we do. And I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. We're going to explain what all this means. Fear none of, these, of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that you may be tried, and you shall have tribulation ten days. Uh, you say, what does that ten days mean? It means ten days. You know how you know that? Because it says ten days. All right. All right, just helping you out a little bit. Be thou faithful. Sometimes people try to make something more than what the Bible is actually saying. And you make a mess of things, all right? Uh, look, look there again at verse number 10. Be thou faithful unto what? And I will give thee a crown of life. He that hath an ear. Can you hear tonight? Can you listen? You know what God wants you to do tonight? He wants you to listen a little bit. And the world's calling you, and the bills are calling you, and the problems are calling you, and the, the issues at the office are calling you, and at work, and the boss, and whatever else. And God says, shut all that out, and just listen to me tonight. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. Thank God for that. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Brother Craig, it's, it's uh, uh, nice to have you in here on a Wednesday night. Normally he's downstairs with DBC. Brother, if you'd open us up in a word of prayer, please. Yes. Amen. Amen. Be seated if you would. Let me just say this. Uh, one of the first things you learn uh, when you learn about how to study the Bible is you learn context. I know we've gone over that before, but context is basically this. It's learning to look at the passage of Scripture and go, who is talking and, and who are they talking to and what are they talking about? Now, you may go, that's simple. As simple as that may sound, a lot of people don't do that when they read the Bible. And so the Bible doesn't make sense to them because they don't have the context from which it's written. All right, so as we talk about context, understand that there are three applications to any passage of Scripture. I know we've gone through some of this before. I want to go through it again. Historically, understand there are seven churches that John is writing to in the book of Revelation, 
And, and the Bible says it is a revelation not of John so much. Now, your Bible might say like mine, if you go back a chapter and go to the very beginning of Revelation, it may say, look at your Bible real quick, look at chapter one, it may say the revelation of St. John the Divine. Anybody have that in their Bible? All right, well, that's not, I'm not going to say that's a, a bad thing, but I'll just say this. You need to understand it's really the revelation of Jesus Christ to John, all right? It's not that John had this apparition and just made all this stuff up. Understand the source is Jesus Christ himself. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He is the word of God. So the word of God is speaking to seven churches, and he speaks to them through John, and he tells them uh, to these angels that represent each of these churches, write these following things. And so we talked about the fact that the word angel doesn't always, uh, 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 in our minds, we think of a certain uh, uh, connotation Understand an angel in the Bible, uh, and, and yes, you, you may think of winged creatures and all that kind of stuff, supernatural beings, yes, but what they are is they're an appearance of something. I've talked about this before. I'm going to mention it again. Uh, over there in Matthew, it's where people get the idea of guardian angels. It says that the, the, the face of their angels doth always behold, uh, behold my father. Now, what that's talking about is this. It is an appearance of something else. So just like you have an angel of the Lord, an appearance of the Lord in the Old Testament, you have an angel of the church of Ephesus. You have an angel of the church of Smyrna. And that angel is basically an appearance or a representation to God for those churches. So as we go through this, understand when you see that over and over and over repeated, that's what it's talking about. Now, historically, there were seven churches that existed in what was Asia Minor, that is a modern-day Turkey. But understand this much doctrinally. You've got to get a hold of this. This is very, very important. There are things that are written to those churches that do not apply doctrinally to us today. All right? And what I mean by that is this. Uh, there are, yes, seven churches that lived historically over here. And yes, practically, they are a picture of different periods of church history. We'll talk about that as well. But doctrinally, as far as where they fit, when we rightly divide the word of God, understand that there are things that God says to the church that are not promised to people that get saved in the tribulation. You understand you've got eternal security. There's nothing you can do to lose your salvation. And you ought to thank God for that, because if you could lose it, you would lose it. And I would too, all right? But the people here are not promised the same things that people are promised over here. As a matter of fact, uh, people in the Old Testament had different promises than we have in the church. They're promised physical inheritance of the land of Israel, physical blessings and physical crops and physical wealth. That's not what God promised the church. God didn't promise us a piece of dirt. I'd like to say, God, you promised us this land and therefore we're going to have a new building. If God gives us a new, a new building, praise God. But if I'm going to ask for God to intervene, I'm not going to claim an Old Testament promise that goes to the nation of Israel and I'm not going to take my, a promise that goes to them and go, ah, they're gone. Now we, st we, we take their place. That's not how that works. God, God has different people he talks to at different times with different messages. So as you read through this, understand there's going to be churches that exist in the tribulation, groups of people, tribulation saints, if you will. Now that word saint, I know some of you know this very well, but the word saint just simply means sanctified, a sanctified being. All right, that's where you get the word sanctify from, saint. It's a holy being. You are made a saint, not because of works that you do, but because of the work that he did. You are sanctified, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, you are washed by the blood of Jesus Christ. That makes you a saint. So, brother, br Saint Joseph, right there, brother, Saint Joseph, Saint Eric, Saint Felix, Bato. Yeah, <laughs> that, that's my saint there, man. And, 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 and Saint Adrian, or you can say it this way, San Adrian. I like that. That sounds good. All right. We, if you're a born again child of God, you're a saint. All right. Uh, and so, when we talk about tribulation saints, we're talking about people. Uh, that, that get saved in the tribulation. Now, I don't want to get into all of this tonight. Uh, the way that there are some things about the, what they go through in the tribulation that we will not have to experience. The Bible says we are children of the day. We are not children of the night. Whether the, the tribulation is seven years, three and a half years, regardless of all that stuff, here's one thing I can tell you. We get taken out of here before it takes place. The Bible says, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9, he's not appointed us to wrath. All right, so we are not appointed to God's wrath being poured out on this world. We get taken out of here. That's that R means rapture. We get taken out of here. First Thessalonians chapter four, and First Corinthians chapter fifteen, before any of that stuff ever takes place. All right, but there's going to be people that do get saved in the tribulation, and how they get saved is a little bit different than the salvation that we experience today. And the reason I say that again is this: What sin can you commit today to make you lose your salvation? Name me one. 
None. You know what someone said, the blasphemy of the Holy Ghost. And I asked someone one time, what does that mean? They go, I don't know. <laughs> uh, let me tell you, the only, the only uh, sin that will send you to hell today, the blasphemy of the Holy Ghost today is rejecting Jesus Christ as your Savior. If you're worried about blaspheming him, that's, that's the, that, the, 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 the sin you got to worry about. A person doesn't go to hell for drugs and pornography and murder and all that. You know why they go to hell? They go to hell not for what they did, but for something they didn't do. They didn't accept God's gift of eternal life. So that said, look, as it relates to things we're going to read here, doctrinally, uh, the church of Smyrna, there's things doctrinally that apply to people that are still uh, uh, not here right now. It's a future application. It is a doctrinal or prophetic application of Scripture. Now, practically, there's a lot of lessons that we can learn from this group of people, a lot of lessons. Uh, let, let me just say this much. If you want to know practically kind of where they fit in things, uh, they, the, the church period represented by Smyrna existed from about 200 to 325 A.D. And uh, that name Smyrna is actually connected with something you might be familiar with. Uh, think about this. M-Y-R. You see, what is that? Myrrh. What do the wise men bring to Jesus Christ? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, you know what's interesting about that? When they give those gifts, they're a picture of different, different uh, uh, positions and offices that Jesus Christ carries. He's a prophet, a priest, and a king. And when you look at, we're going to get into this, when you look at how myrrh is even extracted from the plant uh, that brings that ointment and, and how it's used, uh, there are some things we can learn today. But I want to point out, look at Revelation chapter 2. Let me just start with this. Look at verse number 8 again. Let me just point out again, it is not John that's bringing all this stuff up on his own. John is simply observing. And what John observes, he writes down. Uh, look at Revelation chapter 2. and Look, if you would, at verse number 8. I am Alpha and Omega. I'm, I'm sorry, that's uh, chapter 1, verse 8. We're going to get to that. It's actually connected, actually. Look at verse 8 in chapter 2, though. These things say the first and the last, which was dead and is alive. He is what? First and last. Now look at chapter 1, verse 8. I am Alpha and Omega. Now, if you're not familiar with this, uh, Alpha and Omega are simply the first and last letters of the Greek alphabet. You know what he's saying? Uh, I, I'm not just the, 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 the part of the story. The church, the reason we're here. It's not to tell our story, guys. We're not here to exist for ourselves. We're not here to point people to us. We're here because of his story. <laughs> the only reason we exist is to give him honor and glory. He is not to be someone that we bring in when we want to or, or bring him in. That's what a lot of Christians do today. You, you mention Jesus Christ when it's convenient for you, when it, when it makes you look good in front of other people, but when it makes you feel like an outcast, well, I don't really know him. Listen, at church you may go, well, I, I know by the grace of God I will not be a part of X, Y, and Z. And then you go out in the world and the pressure is on from the parties and the, the social scene at work and are you going to join us for happy hour and all the other stuff. And I'm not even going to go on, a, the message is not about that, but I want you to understand this. If you're using Jesus Christ when it's convenient for you, you're not following him the right way. You know, you know what? He is not intended to be part of your story. He is your story. He's the bookends. He's the first, and you begin with him. Listen, he's the author and the what? The finisher of our faith. And so listen, he's the beginning and he's the end. Uh, look, if you were to Revelation chapter 1, we're going to see it one more time. Look at Revelation chapter 1, verse number 11. Revelation 1, verse 11, saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the what? You know what that means? Your day ought to start with Jesus Christ. It ought to end with Jesus Christ. Now, it, it shouldn't just start with your phone and end with your phone. That's the day and age in which we live. It, it shouldn't start with whatever your mind goes to and drifts to. It should start with him. It should end with him. Listen, when I got saved, that was not the end of my, that was the beginning of life. When I got saved, I was born again, and I started over. That was, I mean, in other words, my life really began. Yes, I was born April 29th. doesn't matter what year. I was born April 29th. But, man, I, I can tell you right now, the real life started for me when I got saved. Uh, he's the first, and in other words, he is supposed to be preeminent. Look at Revelation chapter 21. Go to the end of the book. Revelation chapter 21. Revelation 21. Can people tell that from how you talk? Can people tell that from what you listen to? Can people tell that from what you watch, what you laugh about? Can people tell that from what you post online? Can people tell that from your attitude at work? Can people tell? He ought to be the first and the last. He ought to be the beginning and the ending. <laughs> look at Revelation 21, look at verse number 6. And he said unto me, it is, I like this, it is done. <laughs> it it kind of reminds me of when he hung on the cross and said, it is what? Finished. 
It is done. I am, I love the I am's there. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the what? Look at Revelation 22. Revelation 22, last uh, uh, chapter in the last book of the Bible, Revelation 22. Look at verse 13. I am Alpha. It's almost like he wants us to get this, amen? Almost like, I don't want you to miss this. I'm the beginning. I'm the ending. I'm not just part of the story. I am the story. If you leave me out, you're missing out on everything that there is. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. He's not just the author and finisher of our faith, but he's the author of the statements that are being made in the book of Revelation. It is not John so much, but rather Jesus Christ that is giving. Let me just say it like this. If God is going to reveal something to you, he'll do it through his word, because this is a representation of the living word of God, Jesus Christ. If you want light and illumination in your life, listen, you're not going to get it from Christian psychology. You're not going to get it from TikTok. You're not going to get it from, you know, Dr. Snuffinbrush or Dr. Phil or whoever else. You're going to get it from God's word. And and let me tell you, if if you want light, you know what the Lord does? He walks, as we learned about in chapter one, he walks through the midst of the candlesticks and those candlesticks are a picture of all the churches. And he walks through there and he goes, you know what? I have the power to give more light or to take that light away. You, you see what it? He's preeminent. Uh, look at Colossians with me. That word is very important in your Bible. You know what preeminent means? He's the first. He's the top. Uh, he's what is noticed before anything else. Now look at Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. I, I read this verse and I just thought, how simple and yet how profound. Colossians chapter 3. Look at verse number 3. Colossians 3. This is Wednesday night Bible. All right, so I'm not just preaching. I want you to look at these verses for yourself. Uh, Colossians 3, verse 3. For ye are what? Isn't that wonderful? (laughs) Doesn't that sound great to your flesh? (laughs) I got some great news for you today. You're dead. All right, now now you may go, how is that good? You know what he's trying to show you? The old life is dead. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. You know what that means? When people see you, they ought to see Jesus Christ. As he addresses this church, he lets them know, look, I'm first and I'm last. Uh, look, look at the Philippians. Look at Philippians chapter number one. Philippians chapter number one. I'm going to tell you right now, either Jesus Christ will be preeminent or you will. I think one of the dangerous things that a church can do or Christians can do in general is make everything about them and about their standards and about their convictions. About, I'm not saying you don't need them. You need them. Some of you need them more than others. You need standards. You need convictions. Most of us probably need more of them. I'm simply saying when you make your life, look at me and look at how I'm doing it. And that, that God is not in that. God is in us reflecting with his grace, even while we do those things that he wants us to do, to reflect that glory back to him. Why? It's not about us. You couldn't save yourself. You couldn't pick your life up. You couldn't put your marriage back. You couldn't raise your kids the right way without God. You say, why? He's preeminent. Look at uh, Philippians chapter number one. Philippians chapter one, look at verse number uh, 27. Philippians chapter one, verse 27. Only, only. See, what does that mean? That's it. Nothing else. Only let your conversation. Now, the word conversation in your, in your Bible does not always just mean speech. That's part of it. All right? But your conversation uh, is, I'll say it like this, what you dwell on in your heart, this is a Bible truth, all right? as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. All right? Then it says this, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth, right? and you know what you learn? Your thoughts, you know what they do? They turn into words. You know how I know that? You talk to some of you married people, you ever been in a oh, heated discussion of passionate points of perspective? <laughs> Not an argument, just different points of perspective. And then, boy, something comes out of your mouth. And literally, it's almost like you can physically see it come out of your mouth, and you're like, no. <laughs> and if you're a guy, you know what I'm talking about if you're married. Oh, you know. And, and, uh, <laughs> and you, you, then you fall down and go, I have mercy on your servant. He has a dumb spirit. Amen. <laughs> you know. And stuff comes out of your mouth, and you're like, man, I should not have said that. You know why you said it? Oh, no, I didn't mean it. Maybe didn't mean it to come out, but it was there. Pop goes the weasel, right? And boy, this stuff comes out. You say, what is it? I'll tell you what it is. It's up here and in here, and then it, boom, comes out. And you know what happens eventually if you don't put that under control? The words that you continue to speak over and over and over, you start living out those things. 
So those thoughts turn into words, and those words turn into what? They turn into actions. And you know what those actions turn into? They turn into a life. You say, why is that so important? Well, because when he says, only let your conversation be, he's not just saying your speech. He's saying your life. You know what your conversation is supposed to be about? Your life? Look at what it says. Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. You know what that means? Your entire life, oh, I just don't want to be a Jesus freak. What, what, explain to me how to live the Christian life, would you? Without making Jesus Christ, if you don't make him preeminent, you're not doing it the right way according to the Bible. The world may look at that and go, why don't you just talk about something else? You're always talking about the Bible. Oh, God this and scripture that. And what, what else do you want me to tell you? The weather's nice, you know. I mean, you know, who's going to get elected? I don't know. Uh, nuclear wars around the corner? I don't know, but I can tell you this much. The only thing of value that's ever helped anybody on this planet, including you that are sitting there, are the words that he gave us from this book. So you know what I think is a good idea to do? I think it should be that our lives reflect that Jesus Christ is at the center. My plans, my goals, my dreams, my thoughts, my words, my, des- my relationships. Listen, let me give you some advice. I know I said this before. Time out. Bear with me. I know some of you are older and past this point, but I'm going to say it anyways for the young folks. Don't marry someone. Don't connect with them if they're not saved. Amen. Don't do it. Don't do it. You know what's better to do? It's better to wait. So I don't want to wait and be an old man. It's better to be an old maid for Jesus, all right? Amen. I mean, it's a whole lot better. Th- uh, friend, Brother Hector's like, count me an old maid, amen? <laughs> I mean, it's a whole lot better to be. Listen, I'm just telling you the truth. You will rue the day when you have kids that you want to raise in church and give them God and give them the Bible and give them Jesus, and your spouse says, nothing doing. Amen. You know what the problem is? You didn't put Jesus Christ. You made an exception because it was something that pleased your flesh. And now you want God to fix all of it. Let me say right now, God is merciful. He is loving. He's gracious. He will work through those things. But boy, that is a gamble I don't want to take. See what I'm telling you? I'm telling you right now, wait. Put Jesus Christ at the center. It's a good thing to do. I'll say it like this. It should not be so much about what you think, but rather what he thinks. Now, now you may not know this, but over in uh, 3 John, which is very confusing because 3 John is the 4th John. You know what I'm talking about? You got the Gospel of John, they got the first John, and second John, and third John, and it's right there toward the end of your Bible. And, and in third John, John writes about a guy named Diotrephes. And he says this about Diotrephes He loveth to have the preeminence. In other words, he makes it all about him. And you know what he does? When, when nobody wants to follow him, he starts lashing out with malicious words. That's what John says. And tries to create a following after him. Why? Because of frustrated ambition and control and manipulation. Why? Because I should be the one that's out there. Everyone should notice me. No, everyone should be noticing Jesus Christ. Can I be honest with you? The longer I do this, you know what I do? I, I don't want you to notice me. You know why? Because the more you look at me, you see all the, all the blemishes and all the issues. And I mean spiritually as well. You get to see all the, he's not perfect. I want you to look at Jesus Christ. Amen. Look in unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. You say, what is that? He is to be the preeminent one. So when he writes the church of Smyrna, he says, I am the first and the last. Look at Colossians chapter 1. Colossians 1. Diotrephes, you're wrong. You say, why? And let me just tell you right now, there's a little diotrephes in all of us. There's a little bit of that in all of us. I want to be noticed. No one thanked me. Nobody noticed me. Nobody said this. Nobody said that. And let me tell you something. At some point in the Christian life, you've got to realize it's not about people noticing what you're doing. It's about God noticing what you're doing. And it's about God having favor with God. Uh, Look at uh, Colossians 1 verse 18. Talking about Jesus Christ, it says this. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the what? The firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the what? He's supposed to be the one that you notice. You know when people come to church at our church, you and I pray that they notice? You say, well, they might notice, brother, you know, Craig's dad jokes, you know, and they might notice that, you know, there's a kid running through the the church. They might notice, you know, that, that I got a coffee mug. I don't even drink coffee, whatever, you know. They might notice a number of things. You know what I hope they notice more than anything else? Jesus Christ. When a church does not exist for that purpose, it is a waste. Understand the word Smyrna is associated with myrrh. As I mentioned earlier, you say, what is it? One of the three gifts that were brought to Jesus Christ. You know what myrrh is? It's an antiseptic. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an ointment. It's a perfume, but it's, it's got its like smoky smell to it. Kind of got like a bitter smell to it. 
And yet, understand this, that in God's eyes, the things that we go, I'm not sure if I like that, kind of stinks a little bit. God goes, that's great. And the things that we go, oh, man, I love, that's really good. God goes, no, thanks. You guys remember the story of Cain and Abel? He had respect on the offering of Abel, but under the offering of Cain, he did not have respect. Can I say it like this? Uh, We don't come to God on our terms. We come to God on his terms. And when you come to God, what you realize is that God doesn't have the same value system that we do. Uh, what, what they would do is they would use myrrh in, in ancient times as a, a way of treating. It was a natural antibiotic. It was a, a preserving thing. The Egyptians used it uh, to embalm uh, the, 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 the mummies and the bodies. He said, what did it do? It would preserve the body from rotting. <laughs> it was an embalming of fluid. You say, what is that a picture of? Let me say it like this. You know what your body is right now? Uh, your body is basically a carcass. You're dying from the moment you're born. The only thing that's going to preserve you is something that was done out of bitterness for your soul. You say, what is that? The death of a man named Jesus Christ. You know what that was? That was bitter for him. It's sweet for you, is it not? You know what that does? That preserves you. You know what Smyrna does? Uh, Smyrna, and by the way, go to Song of Solomon real quickly. Uh, Smyrna, that name is associated with myrrh. You say, why? Uh, because you know what they are? As far as the world is concerned, they're dead. They're of no use to the world. You know what you ought to be as a Christian? Of no use to, they may look at you and go, what, well, that guy's just always talking about Jesus. He always ta- inviting people to church. And what's that guy here for? But let me just tell you right now, God will use that to preserve the lives of others. You may go, well, they don't like me and I kind of stink around them. But, but let me just tell you, God can use that. Uh, understand the Old Testament, there's all kinds of types and pictures of, of things in the New Testament. And what you have in the book of Song of Solomon I mean, every homeschool kid that reads on someone, <laughs> you know, they talks about certain things in there. <laughs> Talked about, you know, and ooh, your teeth are like a flock of sheep. <laughs> you know, that kind of stuff. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you got to read Song of Solomon sometimes. <laughs> I mean, I, I never walked up to my wife and said, baby, your teeth are like a flock of sheep. <laughs> she would have been like, what's your problem? <laughs> Apparently, it was very romantic back then, but there's this relationship in Song of Solomon. And you know what it is? It's the bride and the groom. It's a picture of the church and Jesus Christ. Let me show you something in Song of Solomon. Look at uh, chapter 5. And by the way, the number 5 in your Bible is associated with death. So here in the 5th chapter of Song of Solomon, notice what it said here. The Song of Solomon 5, verse number 5. I rose up to open to my beloved. That's opening the door. Just like when Jesus Christ shows up to the church of Laodicea and he knocks on the door. And someone's got to go open that door. Uh, notice what it says here in verse 5. I rose up to open to my beloved. By the way, it's a good thing to do when he knocks on your door. Open it up. Don't, don't, don't do like, you know, when the JWs show up at your house and turn the lights off, all right? All right? When the Lord shows up, open the door. And my hands, watch this, dropped with myrrh. And my fingers with sweet-smelling myrrh upon the handles of the lock. Look at verse, uh, chapter 5, verse 13. His cheeks are as a bed of spices, as sweet flowers. His lips like lilies, dropping sweet-smelling myrrh. Do you know why she smelled like myrrh? Because she had been with him. Now, you know what that's a picture of? The church of Smyrna. Do you know why they had that name attached to them? Because they'd been in fellowship with Jesus Christ. You know what happens when you're in fellowship with the Lord? He changes your value system. And he makes you realize that the things that you thought were the most important thing in the world aren't. And the things you used to lightly esteem, the older you grow in the Lord, you go, man, that means so much more to me. And the things that you used to look at and go, man, that's bitter, you go, that's sweet now. And the things that you used to find sweet, now you find bitter. Can I get a witness? I mean, are there not some of you in here in this, in this room tonight that would say, man, the things I used to look forward to on Friday night, that stuff's bitter to me? No, thank you. You say, what happened? I'll tell you what happened. You got in fellowship with Jesus Christ. And, and listen, let me just say right now, when I was a kid, you go back to that nursery after a child has uh, that sweet little baby angel, baby child, fills a diaper, and you're going to say, dear Lord, what happened in here? You walk in the room and know something happened that is ungodly, all right? And, and you go, and you know, if you stay in there long enough, you will come out smelling like it, all right? Let me tell you, when I was a teenager, my dad smoked. He got over that by the grace of God, but he used to smoke. And, and uh, I remember on the way to church, I'm like, Dad, can you roll the window down? I'm not picking on him. He'd, t- he'd tell you if he was here right now. Uh, God helped him get through that. Uh, and listen, I, I don't think you're going to hell because you smoke or anything like that. Uh, but, but man, I mean, it, the smell, if you're not a smoker, if you're a smoker, it's kind of a sweet smell because you crave it. But if you're not a smoker, it's kind of like, I don't want, it, and it gets on everything, right? You know what that is? That's a picture of you 
either going to the world or going to Jesus Christ. You're going to smell to someone. You know what I'd like? I'd like for the Lord to come down and go, ah, new heights, smelling good. You know what everyone's really ought to do? Put on some spiritual D.O. for your spiritual B.O. And go, look, I need some myrrh applied to my life right now. Now, do you know what they did to get that myrrh, that, to get that medicinal uh, use out of that thing? It was an ointment. You know what they would do? They would take a tree, and they would stab the tree. I know someone that was hung on a tree. And they took a spear, and they plunged it into his side, and out came blood and water. And they would stab that tree multiple times, and that tree would be scarred. And that tree would put out a sap, and that sap, you know what they would call it? They call it teardrops. Look it up, scientifically. They, they come, look, come out in the shape of teardrops. You say, what is that? That's the suffering and anguish of my Savior. And he went through all of that. Why? So he went through all that bitterness so that I could smell good in the sight of God. Right. Now, um, when I was a kid, we never used fabric softener. So when I got married to a white lady that liked everything smelling good, she, uh, she used fabric softener like up the wazoo. And I was like, glory, what is this strange smell? I like this. This is good. And some kind of effect. Now now, here she, now she's gone hippy-dippy, organic, fru loo 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 And she's like, those chemicals are killing you. I'm like, I'm fine. Give me the stuff that smells good. I don't want to smell like a tree. Like who was like, oh, man, you smell like dirt. Give me more of that. I, mean, I want something that smells good. I, you say, what is that? Man, I, I love that smell. I've come to grow to, to love that fabric softener smell. You, you organic, crunchy people may not like that. I'm sorry if I offend you. But give me the chemicals. I love it when I spray on cologne. My wife's like, you know, it's going to kill you. We're going to die some way. I want to die smelling good. Amen. And if you're watching, I love you, baby. Can I show you something? Look at Genesis chapter 8. Genesis, go to the first book of your Bible, Genesis chapter 8. Is this making sense at all? Genesis chapter number 8. Genesis chapter 8. I asked all the Bible school students to take notes and, and correct me after church. You guys can do that later. All right, that was a joke. They're not doing that. Genesis chapter 8. Look, if you would, at verse number... At least I hope they're not doing that. Look at Genesis chapter 8. Look at verse number 21. <laughs> Uh, the Lord, now watch this. Look, look, go to verse 20. Noah built an altar unto the Lord. Noah's a builder. Uh, he may not have known it before he walked with God, but he built an ark. And uh, I don't want to give away something God showed me today, the entire message, but because uh, I'd like to preach it eventually, but there's different arcs you're going to have to build in your life. And some of them are for fellowship, and some of them are for freedom. And uh, listen, there, there's some of them are for uh, the, 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 the purpose of being able to get you to a place that you couldn't have gone otherwise. Uh, listen, Moses' mother uh, takes him and builds a little tiny ark. You say, what is that? That's nothing compared to the one Noah built. But listen, let me tell you this right now. She didn't need to make a football-sized field to carry no, uh, Moses. She just needed something like this. And you say, what is that? Just a reminder that you don't compare yourself to other people. You build what God wants you to build. Noah built an, an ark, and after he's done building that ark, he gets off that ark. You know what he does? He builds an altar. Now, look what God says about that altar after he sacrifices something on it. Look at verse 21. And the Lord smelled a sweet what? I like this. And the Lord said in his what? Now, you know what's so cool about that? Nobody heard it that day. Nobody. Not even Noah. Think about this. Noah didn't hear that. That just happened. And the author of Genesis, Moses, according to Jesus Christ, Moses, God supernaturally revealed to him, hey, let me tell you, Moses, what I was thinking that day. How awesome is that? But you know what it says? The Lord smelled a sweet-smelling savor. You know what he said? Now, I'll be honest with you. If you read the birds he put there, I don't know that would have smelled good to me. I don't know that I would have been like, whoo. Now, now look, I know this is anti-Old Testament law. You know what smells good to a Puerto Rican? Roasted pork. Put a pork on the thing, you know, and season it right, adobarlo, you know, put the seasoning on it, sazon, and, and sofrito, and all that, and roll that thing in there, and just let it roll over there. Man, that smell is amazing. But that's not what he did that day. <laughs> you know what God said? Out of, uh, listen, nobody else would have smelled that and said, oh, that's amazing. God said, I like that. You know what it's a, a picture of? 
You've got to learn this about Smyrna. They're persecuted. We don't like it when people threaten or push us or we have to suffer anything. Uh, let, me, let me say it like this. Suffering for most American Christians is people make fun of us. And I don't mean to make too much light of it, but let's be honest. In the grand scheme of things, we're not suffering a whole lot. My friend doesn't like me anymore. Okay. Now, let me, let, me, let me read something to you. To give you an idea of what the, the saints in Smyrna went through from 200 to 325 A.D. From Fox's Book of Martyrs. Maximus, governor of Cilicia. Maximus, I like calling Max that. Governor of Cilicia, being at Tarsus, three Christians were brought before him. Their names were Tericus, an aged man, Probus, and Andronicus. After repeated tortures and exhortations to recant, they at length were ordered for execution. That's in 300 A.D. Being brought to amphitheater, several beasts were let loose upon them, but none of the animals, though hungry, would touch them. The keeper then brought out a large bear that had that very day destroyed three men, but this ferocious creature and a fierce lioness both refused to touch the prisoners. Finding the design of destroying them by the means of wild beasts ineffectual, Maximus ordered them to be slain by the sword on October 11th, A.D. 303. They, dis they disconnected from me on Facebook. Who cares? I mean, they ain't like this. They don't want to talk to me anymore. Are they throwing you on a spigot and lighting you on fire? Right. Uh, let, let me read. Ro Romanus, a native of Palestine, was deacon of the church of Caesarea. Pray for the deacons, amen. At the time of the commencement of Diocletian's persecution, being condemned for his faith at Antioch, he was scourged, put to the rack, his body torn with hooks, his flesh cut with knives, his face scarified, his teeth beaten from their sockets, his hair plucked by the roots. Soon after, he was ordered to be strang strangled. November, A.D. 303. Someone doesn't like you, get over it. Man, think about your life as a Christian. We've got it pretty good in America. No one's knocking down your door. The closest thing we've had is uh, three years ago when they said you couldn't go to church. That's about the closest you could, any kind of real persecution in America. If someone doesn't like you, maybe it's a sign you might be doing something right. I don't know. Now, I'm not talking about being a jerk for Jesus and being a jerk to people who go, they don't like me. It's persecution. No, if you're a jerk, quit being a jerk. But I'm talking about you standing up for Jesus Christ, standing up for what's right, and your family says, well, that's how it's going to be. We don't want to have Christmas at your house. Good. Have it somewhere else where you can do whatever you want. Listen, I'm not going to celebrate the birth of my Savior and get stone cold drunk so you can be happy with me. Go find somewhere else to get drunk. Do what you want. I'm not going to condemn you for it, but you're not bringing that into my house. You go, oh, you're a legalist. No, I want God to be pleased with me. I don't care what you think. I don't care what anybody thinks. You know what I want? At the end of the day, I'm not going to stand in front of you or anybody else, and neither will you. You will not stand in front of Pastor Adrian. You will stand in front of your Savior, Jesus Christ, the one that bore your sins and died on that cross, and you're going to give account of your life to him, not me. You might as well decide right now, I'm on his side. I don't care what they think. And you know what? It might be bitter. There may be moments where people don't like me. So what? There may be times when people say, well, we don't want you around. Okay, good. Maybe I'll need to learn to be a little bit more lonely for Jesus. I don't know. I'm not saying it always goes that way, but sometimes it does. You know what Paul says? For we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ. In them that are saved and in them that perish, to the one we are the savor of death and the death, and to the other the savor of life and the life. See, what does that mean? To some people I'm going to smell great and some people I'm going to stink. I'd rather smell good in God's sight. Look at Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2. What a thing. Look, you're talking to someone that knows about <laughs> drinking coquito on Nochebuena. And uh, uh, you don't know what that is, don't worry about it. Uh, listen, my culture, people say, oh, it's just my culture. My culture does not give me license to, to break away from my testimony for Jesus Christ. And uh, let, let, me, let me just say it like this. I can value things of my culture without trespassing my God. Amen. But once that I go across that threshold, I'm no longer just embracing culture. I'm rejecting what God has for me. You need to get a hold of that. Uh, notice this in Revelation chapter 2. Look, if you would, at verse number uh, 9. I know that works in tribulation and poverty. I want to make a point here. And it goes something like this. I said this the other night, and I mean it. 
Uh, money is not the problem in your life. It's, it, the problem is your desires. If, if, if you're a giver and you make 100 bucks a month and you're a giver and God gives you a million bucks a month, you know what you're going to do? You're going to be a big giver. If you lack faith with 100 bucks a month and you get a million bucks, you're going to lack faith with a million bucks. Money's not the issue. If you're a sting, a stingwad uh, with a hundred bucks, you're gonna be a stingwad with a million. Yeah. If you're a giver with, you'll be a, it'll be money is a is a vehicle that amplifies your personality. That's yeah. what it does. So I'm not here to tell you that money is evil, but I will say this: uh, the Bible says in Revelation, as it relates now, now right now, if if God wants to bless a believer and give them money and and, and take care of them, they can use that for the kingdom of God. It could be a wonderful thing. But there's coming a time, the great tribulation, and you read about it, that no man can what? Buy or sell. Now, don't, don't take this the wrong way. I went to uh, Whole Foods the other day, and they got the little hand scanner. I'm like, kind of you know, spooky, you know, and you can just put your, your hand over it, and it reads your hand. And you know what it's called? It's called the one. The one, is that what that scanner's called? I think it's called the one. And you go to Whole Foods, anybody here shop at Whole Foods? Okay, all right, good deal. <laughs> I, I, like, somebody like, no, man, Walmart, bro, what's your problem? All right, all right, all right. King Supers, amen, all right, we're good. Uh, uh, so <laughs> I got some guys going, man, Pastor's foo-foo, we don't go to Whole Foods. <laughs> I can see it right on your faces, yeah, 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 it's a, get out of here. <laughs> but they, this thing is called the one. And you scan your hand over it. Now, that's not the mark of the beast. You know how I know? Number one, it is not connected with worshiping an image. That's in the future. Now, now, if you, now I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. Am I like the first one in line to go, I want to sign up for the one? No, it kind of creeps me out a little bit. Not my thing. I like to, you know, use a card. I'll use a card, whatever. But, but I'll just say this. That's not the mark. But there's coming a day in which you cannot exist in the economy that's going to be interconnected without the entire, throughout the entire world without giving up your convictions and worshiping the Antichrist. Look at James chapter number 5. James chapter 5. I know some Christian businessmen that have made really good money and have given it to God and done some great things with it. But you won't be able to do that in tribulation. Not as a believer. James chapter 5. If you have money in the tribulation, you are doing something wrong. Look at James chapter 5, look at verse number 1. Go to now, ye rich men, weep and howl, for your miseries yet shall come upon you. Your riches are corrupted, your garments are moth-eaten, your gold and silver is cankered, and the rest of them shall be a witness against you, and shall eat your flesh as it were fire. I mean, this is some pretty rough stuff. But look what it says in the end of verse 3. This is how you know where it fits. Ye have heaped treasure together for the what? All right, now go to James 1, go to James 1, look at, look at, I know some of you already know this, that's fine, just let it be repetition for you that know this already, for those that don't, let me explain this to you, James is going to have things in it that applies right here, doctrinally, that does not apply over here, doctrinally, you, if you're a born again child of God, you fit right here, and you are a child of the day, you are not a child of the night, all right, and, and so James, look at James 1, look at verse 1, James, uh, a servant of Jesus Christ, right, to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. Is that what it says? All right, the 12 tribes. Are you one of them? That's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's Israel. And so, you know what you've got? You've got things in James that apply right here that don't apply over here. Now, there's practical things in James about wisdom and about the tongue that are, that are trans People like to use trans, right? Trans-dispensation. It crosses any dispensation, and there's no, you can apply it all over the place. When the Bible talks about your heart, I don't care where you're at, it, it, can, hit, it can hit you. When it talks about the tongue, it's going to address any dispensation out there, all right? Uh, having said that, doctrinally, there's things in James. You know what he's saying in James? If you are rich in the last days, it's because you're wicked. Why? Because you've taken the mark. We're talking about the last days of the tribulation, not the church. Get that. So you know what? These people are in poverty, the church of Smyrna. Why? Because in the future application, the doctrinal application, they can't take the mark. Now, from a practical standpoint... Looking at church history, you know what that church was? They were poor. Now, can I show you something? Look at Revelation chapter 3. Just, just to show you how God works and how we work and how we're not always in sync with the Lord. Revelation chapter 3. 
If you like the message, I put the notes together. If you don't, Ariana put them together, all right? <laughs> Revelation chapter 3. Uh, look, if you would, at uh, verse number 14. And we're going to get into this much deeper later on, but look at verse 14. He's talking to the church of the what? Laodiceans. Now, when he says, all that he says, look down, if you would, at verse number 17. Because thou sayest, I am rich. Now, can I, can I, can I give you a couple things to chew on? Over in the Gospel of John, you know what Jesus Christ says over and over and over? This is not the right one. This needs to go away. You know, he says over and over and over, I am. I'm the bread of life. I'm the word. I'm the door. I'm the shepherd of the sheep. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. All right, you know what he is? I'm the living water. I am, I am. You know what this church of Laodicea says? I'm rich. Two things wrong with that. Number one, he is the I am, not you. <laughs> you know the other problem is? Identity. Christian, can I say this? You're not to be identified by the things you possess. It doesn't make you who you are. Your identity is not your job. Now look, I think, I think sports are great. I do. I really do. I think, uh, I think it's good for, for, for young people to do sports. I think there's a lot of lessons they can learn. But let me just say this. You're not the captain of the football team or the captain of the wrestling team or the captain of the volleyball team. You're a child of God. Who plays volleyball? You're a child of God who plays football. You see what's the problem? Identity. When your identity is wrapped in what you do and what you have, you are going to be disappointed with your life. You will never be content. Why? Because your contentment is found in Him. Now, you know what they said? I'm rich. And the Lord goes, no, you're not. Read the rest of the verse. (laughs) They think they're rich. You know what they are? They're poor. Now, I want to explain something real quickly for, for those that may not be familiar with this. When the church is raptured and taken up, I know some of you know this already, we're going to go through something called the judgment seat of Christ to receive the things done in the body, whether they be good or evil. Now, let me explain something. If you're here and you're not saved, you don't go to that judgment. You go to one way out here called the great white throne judgment. And let me tell you something right now. You don't want to go there. Because you're going to experience the second death over which, which he tells them they can have power over in Revelation 2. At the judgment seat of Christ, I'm not there to decide whether or not I'm saved. If I'm there, it's because I'm saved. Yeah. But when I get there, you know what he's going to look at? He's not going to look at my 401k. Or my portfolio or my, my stocks or my options or my bond. He's not going to look at any of that stuff. How many assets did I have? You know? Uh, what was your, what was your, uh, uh, how many points did you score your, fi- your senior year of high school? Guys, I don't care about that stuff. You need to look at, why did you do, or why did you not do, the things that I gave you to do? What did you do with those things? And you know what's going to happen? There's going to be some people there that are rich because they laid, laid up treasures in heaven. And there's going to be some people that are poor because everything that they did was for themselves. And you're saved and you'll be in heaven, but you're going to weep in front of your Savior. And you're going to say, must I go empty-handed? Must I meet my Savior so? And you know what the Lord's going to say? It's not what I desired for you. I wanted you to be rich. But your value system was off when you were down here on this earth. This has nothing less to do with money and more to do about your heart. Get a hold of that. See, he tells them, look, I see your poverty. I see your works. I see that you've gone through tribulation. I see all these things, but in my eyes, you're rich. Look at Revelation chapter 2 and verse number 9. Revelation chapter 2 and verse 9. Can I point something else out about this church? They are able to, it's interesting because in chapter one, in chapter 2 earlier on, he talked about the church of Ephesus and how they, they, they called out those that said they were apostles and were found liars. And, and here, in, in, uh, in the church of Smyrna, it's those, there's a blasphemy that's going on, and the blasphemy goes like this. The blasphemy is, there were people that said that they were Jews and were not. You go, what's the big deal? Well, let me put it to you this way. We are Bible believers, which makes us premillennial. Say, what does that mean? 
That means that we, the church, do not bring in a kingdom on this earth. The Lord comes back at the end of the tribulation and establishes a thousand-year reign. That means that he, uh, he has to come back pre- before the millennium starts. Well, in this period of church history, do you know what happens? There's two heresies that become popular. Now, you may not know what this means. Post means the Lord comes back after the church establishes a kingdom for a thousand. We couldn't establish a kingdom down here. Look around you. I mean, I mean, look out in the world. We're not, that's not what we're here to do. Uh, but but uh, they, they say the Lord comes back. The list says this. Well, there's no actual literal thousand-year reign of Jesus Christ. It's just the kingdom within us. And we're bringing it on this earth through our lives. Now, I'm not throwing stones, but hear me out. There is a church that basically espouses both things. They say that they replace Israel. And they have their own priesthood that replaces the Old Testament priesthood. And... They claim apostolic accession. succession. You see, what does that mean? That basically means this. You may not realize it, but do you know what happens right around here? Constantine has his vision, and that's the birth of the Roman church. And you know what they did? They took this church that was persecuted. Now, let me just say this. You know what they were persecuted? And you know what happens in Acts chapter 8? When the church is persecuted, it flourishes. Remember in Exodus, the Israelites are in captivity in Egypt? And they continue to flourish and have children and grow and multiply even in the midst of all that tribulation and persecution. And you know what God does? He blesses them in the midst of all that. Do you know what happens when all of that pressure is taken off and you get the easy road out and you go, you can still worship other gods and still be a Christian? You know what happens? You get an unholy mess. Do you know what happens over here? Exactly that. And you know what comes as a result? False doctrine. So you know what he says? I know you've seen those that say they're Jews and are not. All right, you know what? Their promises God gives to Israel are not for the church and vice versa. So the Lord addresses the fact that the, the, the church of Smyrna, not only were they persecuted, but they had enough clarity to see what was right doctrinally and to call it out for what it is. Now, we may not like the terms God uses, but it's not up to us to, to call them what we want. It's up to the Lord to call them what, what he wants. And you know what he says? You look at uh, chapter 2, look if you would at verse number 9 at the end of the verse. It says, uh, I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of who? Strong words. I didn't write the book. Notice what he says in verse number 10. (laughs) I love this. Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. I'm afraid. I'm very afraid. (laughs) And he goes on to say this. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison. That's a direct attack from the devil himself. That you may be tried and you shall have tribulation ten days be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. Look, if you would, at uh, James. James chapter number 1. James chapter 1. Now, let me say this. There are two ways that the Bible uses the word tempt. You know what it says in Genesis 22? That God tempted Abraham. All right, the word tempt has two meanings. Now, look at, think about this. What's in the middle, what's, what's, what's there? Temp, like temperature, like temper, like to put something in a fire, all right? So you know what it is? There's two ways to, to describe it. It is a trial that you go through, and it can also be uh, lured by sin. You have to notice the context in which that word is used in the Bible to know which way it's being used in the passage. When God tempts Abraham in Genesis 22, he's not luring him to sin. He's trying him. He's testing him. Let me ask you a question. How do you respond when you get tested? Relationship falls apart. Friendship falls apart. Financial trouble. Flat tire. The car on top of the sick kids, on top of the bill that just came in the mail. Anybody ever been there before? And you know what's easy to do? Blah! And the Lord's going, I'm trying to help you. You know what happens when you take metal, you know, and, and lays like gold? Like, lays, if your husband gets you gold versus fake gold, fool's gold, what would you rather have? Gold, all right? It's not a trick question. <laughs> Good grief. Gold? <laughs> gold. Yeah. It's like, I don't think he's going to say, I'm, I'm wicked and I want riches. No, that's not the point. The, 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 the point is you'd rather have that which is authentic, but you know what it takes to make that? 
they, they would put metal in, in, a, in a, what they call a potsherd in old times, and they would heat that stuff up. And you want know to come to the surface of that, of that potsherd, of that pot, you want know to come to the surface, what they call dross. And they would take that dross after the heat is applied, and they'd skim it off. And they do that over and over and over. And eventually you have a purified product. You know what it took? Trials of fire. Amen. You know what it's going to take for you? The same thing. Let, look at James chapter number 1. Look if you would at verse number 12. James 1 verse 12. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the what? Which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. That is literally what it says in Revelation chapter 2, verse, and I will give thee a crown of life. Christian, can I say this? There are trials that God puts you through, and there are things you go through, and if you handle them the right way, you know what the Lord has promised you? A crown. I want, in other words, God wants you to have something to show for what you've gone through down here. The question is, how do you respond to it? You know, there's been moments, I think some of you remember a couple years ago, we had every single appliance go out in our house. The well went out. I mean, I'm talking about Saturday before church. It's always on Saturday night and Sunday morning and Wednesday night that weird stuff happens. You know, and, you know, and just, just all kinds of weird, and, and just all at once, it's like, Lord, what is going on? And it's like, the Lord just wants to, are you going to handle this like a big boy? Are you going to throw a temper tantrum like a child? You say you're a follower of Jesus Christ? Let, let Christ be preeminent. Let him show through this trial right now. You know what the church of Smyrna had the ability to do? To go through some trials and to allow it to make him more pure. Uh, Brother Kidan, we've talked about this before. The song, I had decided to follow Jesus. Uh, The tune is a psalm, is that correct? Is that the the, the region, a psalm? And they, they, they named a tune after it. Da, 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 You know what that story's about? You know what that song's about? A man that wouldn't recant for Jesus Christ, and the chief of the village in India took him, his wife, and kids out there and said, recant or else. You know what they did? They shot arrows through his kids. They shot arrows through his wife and eventually him. And when that chief saw that man wouldn't recant and that guy wouldn't turn on his God and that guy was willing to die for something that he believed in, you know that chief does at the end of that? That chief goes, and I must need Jesus Christ too. And the whole village got saved. You know what's happening right now? Those two, the guy that shot the arrows and the guy that was hit by the arrows are rejoicing before the throne of God. And they'll do it forever and ever and ever. Couldn't imagine that down here. God can take what's bitter Listen to me, he can take what's bitter and he can make it sweet. The question is, is will you allow that to happen now? See, see, we're going to have that when we get there. God would like for you to see things from his perspective every once in a while down here. Smyrna goes through some things and they're tried. They go through tribulation for 10 days and they're cast into prison. The, the devil attacks them, but they come out. You say, how do they come out as overcomers? Look at 1 John chapter 4 and 1 John chapter 5 and we'll call it a night. 1 John chapter 4. First John chapter 4. Look at verse 4. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them. Why? Not because of you. Because of him. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Look at First John chapter 5. Let me, as you turn there, understand that he's telling them to overcome, and there's some things that they're going to have to abstain from and resist in the tribulation my overcoming today is not based on what i do or don't do it's based on myself my aligning myself with god's point of view when i do that listen i'm already seated with him in heavenly places i'm a new creature in his eyes the old man's dead in his eyes if i could learn to align myself with that you know what i can experience down here overcoming look at first john chapter five first john chapter five Verse 4, Christian, you've already overcome because of Jesus Christ. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh thee. And this is the what? That overcometh the world, even our what? Christian, you've overcome because of him. And the Lord does give a charge, I think, that may apply to us. Look, look back at Revelation chapter 2. And he says, be faithful. Be faithful. Uh, Look at uh, the end of verse 10. Be thou faithful unto 
death. Listen, the Lord wants us to be faithful. My faithfulness is not connected with my salvation. I'm thankful for that. But I, I want to experience some overcoming. I don't know about you. I don't have, I used to have like, oh, I'm going to read this many books a month and I'm going to do this, all these different resolutions. I'm going to lose this much weight. I'm going to do this and run this many. Here's, I'm really, the older I've gotten, the more I'm just like, I just want to walk with God. I do. That's what I want. I want to walk with him. And you know what? If I'm walking with him, he'll show me what I need to change. You know what I want, though, in 2024? I want to overcome a little bit more. How about you? I want to be like Smyrna. Let's all stand. Let's all stand. Every head bowed and every eye closed. It's Wednesday night Bible study, but the Lord spoke to you. Let's not the title of Bible study get in the way. Father, we come to you tonight. Thank you for the word of God. Thank you we can rightly divide it and understand it. Thank you for the spirit of God illuminating things unto us. God, I, I thank you that I will not be here for the great tribulation. I pray that there's anyone here that's not saved, that they would be wise. Choose Jesus Christ while they still can before that comes on this earth. Lord, I know that may sound far out to some people, but Lord, you've never been wrong. You've never been wrong about anything. I'm not going to start doubting you now. We don't want to be the scoffers in the last days. We want to believe what you said. Everybody laughed until the rain started falling on Noah's Ark. And uh, we don't want to be the laughers or the scoffers. Lord, we believe you. Lord, in, in, in light of that, in light of these last days, would you... Would you give some of your people, Lord, a, a dose of Smyrna? Or would you help us to be okay with going through some bitterness? Understand that's how we...